We're going to start the book of Romans, and before we get started in chapter 1, I want to talk to you, give you a bit of a background. The book of Romans, of course, was written by who? Paul, Apostle Paul. Paul the Apostle, he was on the one who written it. It's been verified, it's been proven that he wrote it, and he wrote it around 60 A.D., and uh, so right before he went to prison. So, you know, if you're a theologian, you, will, you would have learned that in the, the, uh, you, in the epistle, all the epistles of Paul, uh, you would take them, all the epistles, you actually break them down into two. And they're not in chronological order, by the way, the epistles. So you break them down into two. And there some, about uh, 45% of them was before his imprisonment, and 45, uh, 55% of them was actually after his imprisonment. In other words, he wrote uh, a lot of his epistles while he was in prison. So depending on, you know, who you believe in terms of who wrote Hebrews or whatever, but that's pretty much the way that it breaks down is that there are some portion of the epistles that was written before his imprisonment and the ones that he wrote after his imprisonment. And Romans is one the episode that he wrote before his imprisonment. In fact, it's right before his imprisonment. It was quite prophetic that he actually was pro- prophetically telling them that he's going to be in Rome and didn't know that he was be coming in Rome in chains. But, you know, he was telling that Christians, I'm going to come to you. In fact, I plan to go to Spain, yes, etc., etc. But he didn't realize that, you know, his journey to Rome was actually going to be in chains. But anyway, so, so part the, the, uh, the book of Romans... Um, it's um, about written about 27 to 8, 28 years after Christ rose from the dead. Now, it is the longest epistle that Paul had written. He had written many epistles. It's the longest. But it's the epistle which we form the basis of our current understanding of the gospel. In other words, if you take away Romans, Christianity will look quite different from what we know of today. If there's no book of Romans, if the, Romans, the book of Romans doesn't exist, the way we believe, the, our belief system would be quite different. So the book of Romans is very important for your faith and for my faith. Now let me give you a little bit of background of the writer. Most of you know already that Paul the Apostle was educated and mentored by one of the most respected Jewish scholars, leaders, uh, philosopher of his day, Gamaliel. And um, he was also educated in Greek philosophy, and, and so, but he was also very familiar with Hebrews and so forth. So he's a very educated person. And uh, he was an antichrist, you know, like there is a, the antichrist, but he was one of the antichrists, you know, he's anti-church antichrist, he's one of the leading young men being raised by the, by, the, by the Pharisees to be the leaders of the future, to persecute the church, he knew about the law, he was, he, you know, he, Paul the Apostle himself said, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisee, he's like the top of the top of the top gun, right? So he was, he was the Pharisee, and so he was a leading man to persecute the church until he had a dramatic encounter with God. And we I just, we just got to pray that today that God will just release that kind of supernatural environment in our church. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about how it is that, you know, the environment, it's your believers as they, as they come together and seek the face of God and push it in the spirit. There's the environment that we can create that people can have actually supernatural encounter with Jesus. An encounter that would change their life. So he had that encounter, and then he, his life changed, and then the rest is history, of course. Now, most people know about the, the background of Paul the Apostle, but most people don't know about the audience that he was addressing to in the book of Romans. The audience that he was addressing to was the believers in Rome. It wasn't Paul that got them safe. It was that you know, they were already believers everywhere in Rome. And, uh, uh, and they, in, 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 the, in the time when Paul wrote this epistles, there were already a lot of 
believers, both Jewish and non-Jewish, Jews and non-Jews. And if you want to know the history, uh, some of you are familiar with the history a little bit. Around the time when the, the, the book of Rome was written, Claudius was actually the emperor at the time. And Claudius, if you study the book of Acts, you know that he actually, at one time, he got so sick of the Jews. He's like, I don't want to see any Jews in my sight. Get them out of Rome. And so they send them all away. They said, don't come. No Jews are allowed to live in Rome. So that's how crazy he was. So they all set away. And then he changed his mind five years later. He said, oh, okay, you all can come back, you know. And then boom, they all came back. So, so all this, you know, you know, emperor in the old days, they can be crazy, right? And so this is what they've done. They, so, so what happened is that even among the churches, there were Jewish and non-Jewish believers. And when Claudius sent those Jewish out of the city of Rome, all those Jewish people had to leave the church and leave Rome. And then they, they would go back to Jerusalem or go to different places. And then five years later, when they came back to the church, it was quite different from how they left. Because now these this Christian believers, not under the influence of the Jewish people anymore, they begin to observe Christianity quite differently from what the Jewish people had remember. In fact, that's the contention of many churches, not only in Rome, but in uh, Ephesus and different places. So, you know, but the Jewish uh, believers came back and they go, what happened to this place? How come you guys don't circumcise yourself anymore? How come you guys don't observe Sabbath? How come you don't observe the rules and laws and blah, blah, blah? And so there was a huge contention in the church. So the non-Jews and the Jews, they were having this major fight and it was going to split the church. And so Paul was writing to the church in Romans saying, listen, you need to listen to what the gospel is. What is the gospel and what it is we're believing? And so he was trying to address this disunity and try to bring the congregation together. So he was preaching not only to the Gentiles, or the, they call it Greeks, but not all of them are Greeks, just they're all Greek educators. That's why they call them Greeks. But all the Greeks and all the Jews, he's trying to bring them all together and say, hey, we're just one church, and this is the true gospel in Christ Jesus. So he said he spent the next uh, a little while just to explain to them, you know, um, the, you know, the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus and the righteousness in Christ Jesus. So, uh, so there was a disagreements to how to follow Jesus, you know, and um, uh, um, uh, so, so the book of Romans is to address that. Now, let me talk quickly about the book itself. Now, the book of Romans is probably... I would venture to say, and I'm sure a lot of theologians agree with me, is one of the most amazing legal arguments of the gospel of grace. It is one of the most potent uh, um, uh, arguments. I mean, the way that he had litigated, oh, I love that word, litigated the gospel of grace is absolutely phenomenal. And, and, and so if, if, you, if you are kind of like an argumentative person, you're a lawyer, you you're always, you know, go by the rules. And this Roman, the book of Romans is very tasty. It's very amazing. And so, you know, so that's the reason why it forms the basis of our Christian belief system because he had laid up such a logical way to explain to us what grace is all about and that Christianity is righteousness through faith in grace, right? So he explained that and then he would, he trying to, he trying to, you know, show us that the law itself is insufficient. 
Okay? And so it's the grace that is important. So we are hopeless without grace. You could be a very observant, religious person, observe all the rules and, and, and rigmarole, all the, all the rituals and so forth, but you st- it's still not good enough. And you could be, you know, and, and, and for the rest of the people at the time, it's, they, they just, it was, sin was rampant, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, homosexuality was very normal. Even the emperor is known, you know, the Roman emperor is known to have, usually have a, a wives, concubines, and a couple of boyfriends, this sort of thing, you know. And in fact, in Roman armies, they encourage homosexuality because they know that if the men are in love with each other, they will look out for each other, they can do better battle in the battle. And that's how corrupt and immoral um, the society was. And, and so, you know, so it's hopeless without grace. And so Paul is trying to teach the church, okay, you, you need to understand this is the gospel we preach about. Any question? No, no, don't worry. I'm not going to ask any question. Is it clear? Did you, did you get that? Are you here this morning? Okay. All right. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to fly through this because I have 20 minutes left. So I'm going to fly through this. And... Um, uh, if you have questions, write it down, either send me an email, whatever. If you disagree, just love me anyways, because I'm not the smartest person on earth. Hello. All right, here we go. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, this gospel, though, is what Paul is going to expound on for the rest of the chapter, for the rest of the book of Romans. It's called the gospel of grace through faith. Verse 3, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was descendant of David. This is important for the Jewish audience that he was addressing because Messiah was prophesied to be from the line of Judah. And so for the line of David, so that he had to put that in to tell them, hey, listen, I understand what you're believing in. It is true. And as a Jewish person, this is true based on the prophecy because Jesus was a direct descendant of David. Did somebody shoot something? Right, who uh, and then sorry, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared. Everybody said declared. The Son of God, empowered by His resurrection from the dead. Now let's just pause here. Right, it's talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus was declared not by some authoritative figure, some government, some philosophy, some scientific research and discovery. Jesus was declared as a son of God, a true God, by his resurrection. Resurrection in our faith is paramount. Without resurrection, our faith is like any other faith. Every religion out there, they claim that their God do this, Muhammad did that, and Buddha do this, blah, blah, blah. All of them had never experienced resurrection. Without resurrection, our faith is hollow. If, that, if without resurrection, Paul later on say, if there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there will be no resurrection of us. If there's no resurrection of us, then our hope will be only of this world. If our hope is only of this lifetime, we are the most miserable group of people of all. I mean, come on. You observe all the rules and regulations. You don't get to get drunk all the time and, and enjoy the marijuana that our prime minister is so freely giving to us, you know. I did it again. I said to myself I wasn't going to be political. 
But you know, I mean, you, you can't do any of those and you feel so restricted, you're constricted. And, and if our hope is only for this lifetime, you know, I understand this is that God wants to bless us this lifetime. He wants to prosper us. He wants to give us long life. He satisfies us. But I tell you, it's only 80, 90, even 120 years old. That's a very short time. It's very short time. This morning, I was looking at my kid's baby picture. I do that all the time, right? And she was a little, so cute. And boom, overnight, she's right up here standing, singing, you know. And my son is back there busy doing the transparency or the projection. They grow up so quick. Time's so quick. And if our hope is only in this world and we don't believe in resurrection, we are the most miserable of all men. So resurrection is paramount. We have to believe in the resurrection or our faith is not real faith. Can I hear an amen? All right. Through him, verse 5, we receive grace and apostleship. That we Paul the apostle. He said that. To call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now watch this. The Bible says that we are called to the obedience that comes from faith. There are many times that people, even among Christians, will tell you that our obedience is from some kind of fear. Many of us had come to the obedience of our faith through fear, unfortunately. Fear of dying and go to hell. Fear of the wrath of God. Fear that God is mad at us. Fear of this and fear of this. In fact, most people on earth who had not known Christ, we are motivated by fear. We make most of the decision out of fear, including fashion. As simple as fashion. Why? Because you're fearful that people look down on you. You don't look cool. Come on. You say, no, no, I want to look good just for me. Oh, liar. You want to look good for you and for the people that see, oh, you know. Otherwise, you come with your hair sticking out, you know, in pajamas, slippers, and, you know, toenail not clipped properly, whatever, right? No, no, it is a fear. You know, I'm not saying don't have proper, you know, but I'm just saying many of us base our life, we have our life being driven by fear, fear of man. Fear of what people think of us and then fear of God. But you know, friends, that your faith and my faith in God should never be motivated by fear. Can I hear an amen? amen. Because if you have been obedient to the Lord based on fear, then I encourage you to change that mindset. Don't base your obedience out of fear, but base your obedience out of your faith in God. Now, let me just twist it around another way. If you do have faith, you have no problem in obedience. <laughs> you know, just three people agree because a lot of people are in show. What? what? Obedience comes naturally, especially to the Word of God and even to authority. Paul the Apostle later on teaches about that in this book. Obedience is a natural second nature, if you can, for believers. I know we live in a society where the narrative is that you are a fool to be obedient to anything because you're subjecting yourself to others. That's the narrative of the world that had rejected the gospel, that rejected the idea of God, of a God. 
And that's why obedience is difficult for them. But there's power in obedience when you obey, you know, Abraham obeyed. You know, all those incredible generals of faith, they become generals of faith because they learn the principle of obedience. If you don't have obedience, you haven't got faith, in other words. Now let's jump to verse 8. I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. He'll pause here again. I want to talk about it again. I wonder what, what kind of reputation precedes you. I wonder what kind of reputation precedes this church. You know, Paul the Apostle is telling the people in, Romans, in Rome that their faith is so well known and it's being reported, talked about around the world. What kind of faith? The faith in God that is powerful. And I just pray it is the wish of every pastor, and therefore it is my wish, that the faith in this congregation is so powerful, so strong, that when you go to, say, another country, say you have a visit in Italy or something like that, you know, you go to a village in Italy and you walk around and, and you introduce yourself, you know, they say, oh, I'm from Willowdale Community Christian Assembly. They go, oh, I heard about that place. That's where the fire of God is. That's where faith is arising. That's where people get healed. That's why the blind get see. And that's why the broken get healed. I'd like to see that kind of faith, wouldn't you? Come on, let's, let's just believe in God for that. That's the reputation that they had. And I pray that God will give us this reputation. And you know, this summer, I really believe it's a summer we're going to see amazing breakthrough. It's a summer of great preparation because I, I know there's some amazing stuff happening in September. You know, I just want to ask us to press in in the spirit. I ask every volunteers, every leaders, every worship leaders, everyone that I talk to, is it press in this summer? If you can pray in the spirit for half an hour, great, do it. If you can pray an hour, even better. The more you press in, the more you'd see you will witness in this church itself, the atmosphere will be shifting. And it's already shifting because there are people that are pressing in. So, you know, we hear about this whirlpool thing last week, right? This whirlpool is starting to churn. I sense it when I was praying this morning. I said, whirlpool, it is coming. But you know, whirlpool, when it starts, it's hard, right? Shh, you feel nothing. But when it becomes stronger and stronger, once the momentum is picked up in the spirit, even the bystander, you know, there are always people that spectator, right? They, they can go to a church that, you know, the God is moving, Jesus himself is there, they'll be like, whatever. Can't wait till I go back to see the Leaves games, you know. <laughs> even those, I believe, when the whirlpool is stirring, they'd be caught up because it's the grace of God. And they'd be caught up in the glory of God. And I'm looking for that. I want that. I'm pressing him for that. I encourage you to press him with me because it's not a one-man thing. It's a corporate thing as we have the hunger of God. Lord, we want to see this summer of breakthrough, summer of incredible breakthrough that those people who are ill, those people who are sick, those people who are broken, those people who have been abused, those people who have, have depressed mind or, or mental illness, etc., they will all see the glory of God and that they, when they come in, they will be touched by the power of God. I will tell you this. 
even when people do come in, if the power of God is not doing anything, we can't do a thing for them. We're ill-equipped with our own strength to help anyone. But I tell you, friends, when people come into this church, you know, when they come and the presence of God is strong, I tell you, they will sense it. You know, we just, you know, I, I, I heard so many testimonies of people come into this church, you know, they, they, they would sit down or they, they, they've been hit by the power of God and depression would leave and stories like that. But it's just every now and then. But I just can't wait that, you know, this city that is so broken in our, in, in our midst, you know, the city of Toronto, that, that when the broken people walk in, the Spirit of God will be moving, moving. And, and without even the first word being preached, they know the presence of God is here. They will be struck by the power of God in a very positive way, struck by the power of God, struck by the love of God, and life will be changed even before the first words is being uttered. That's the miracle we're looking for, amen. How many of you want to agree with me for that, for this church in Jesus' name? Come on, let's do that's believing God for that. Verse 14, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now here it is, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. The gospel is so important. The gospel is the only means that God had given to the church to bring salvation to mankind. It's not a show. It's not free ribs. For good. That doesn't bring salvation. That's just for fun for the rest of us. But the gospel is the key to salvation. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to encourage you not to be ashamed of the gospel. Because you and I are sitting here this morning because somebody bothered to preach the gospel to us, to our friends, to someone. Somebody is waiting for you and I to open our mouths to preach the gospel. What's the worst thing that could happen? Somebody punch you in the face? No, that's not going to happen. It's just his imagination. We all, our imagination always embellish the worst. Nothing's going to happen. Just invite someone. Someone is waiting. Someone is in pain. It's for us waiting for you to have the boldness to open your mouth. Hey, if you can't preach the gospel, just bring them to church. I'll preach it to them. Then we partner together. Some of you say, I don't know what to say. Well, fine. Just bring them to church. They say, you want to come to church with me? You know, we're going to, you know, I don't know, just say, look at this funny preacher, you know, he, he talks funny or whatever. Just bring them to church and let us preach the gospel to them because it's the power of salvation for everyone. In this city, if you and I want to see changes, we cannot change anything politically. We cannot change anything by any means except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if any time the city needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's right now. And it's not going to be a mass crusade. It's going to be you and I willing to open our mouth and invite someone to come to church, invite someone to listen to the gospel. Can I hear an amen? amen. Hallelujah. So here it is, verse 17, for the gospel of righteousness, here we go, now we're going to talk about righteousness. The gospel of righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. You cannot have your righteousness by works. We, religion, has always proclaimed to us that you need to do this, that, and the other thing for, for God to accept you. That's religion. That's control. That's the way the institution wants to control us. 
Your righteousness is secure already in Christ Jesus only by faith. From first to last, it's like Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega. It's like everything, encompassing everything from first to last, beginning to the end. Everything about righteousness is only found in faith, not in your good works, not in your ability to give a lot of money to church. That, that, that's a good work. They're great, but then that doesn't give you the righteousness of God. The only way the righteousness of God ever come to you is by faith. And later on, he'll explain how that faith is achieved that is only through grace. But I don't want to jump the gun. But the righteousness from first to last is only by faith. Okay, so uh, just as it's written, that righteous will live by faith. Not by laws, not by rules. You know, Abraham, he was way before any law and rules ever laid out. And God considered him righteous. Did he observe any rules? Did he do any, 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 any ritual? The things that we do today in churches and some of our churches, you know, all the rituals, the lifeless rituals that we do. He didn't do any of that, and God considered him righteous and blessed him because he had faith. And, 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 and he will go ahead and prove that to us in ch chapter 4, but, you know, I don't want to jump the gun. All right. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth the truth that God exists, in other words, by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is in plain sight, it's plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible, invisible qualities, what are they? His, his, his power, his, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood, from what was being made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified God or as, uh, Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking had become futile and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So what he's saying is this, is that everything is in plain sight. The power of God is in plain sight. You know, I was doing my devotion the other day. I was sitting there looking at the two birds that belong to my daughter. These two birds, they really annoy me sometimes. You know, sometimes, you know, they, you know birds, eh, they can do business everywhere. And then you put them in a cage, and next thing you know, they're like, you know, poo everywhere. Outside the cage. So I was, I was getting, Kristen, clean your bird, you know. And then bird seats everywhere. So I was sitting there early in the morning. I was praying in the spirit quietly, you know. And these two boys was looking at me. I look at them. They look at me. They go, jump, 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 jump. I go, shut And I jump, 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 I go, jump, I look at them, they look at me again, you know, as, as if we haven't committed. So I think to myself, at that very moment, how could anybody thought that this thing come from some kind of evolution, some type of amoeba? It is impossible. It is impossible. Smart people would easily figure it out. And yet, because they have pushed out the narrative of the fact that there is God, they become darkened. They have to find some kind of solution, some kind of theories, however ridiculous it is, in order to replace the 
idea that there's a God. And that's why it's so stupid. God called them, become, they become so darkened and become foolish. It's as though I believe that this iPad can come along itself, by itself, made by itself. It's impossible. If you can't even, if you can't believe that this iPad can come by itself, how can you possibly believe the little bird or even human being, which is a trillion times more complex, come by itself? It's impossible. But they become foolish. They don't even know. Some of the smartest people in the world today, scientists with all the PhDs in the world, they think foolish. They think this thing come by itself. It makes no sense. And so far, they still have this missing link. This big missing link about apes to human. They can't, that, that link, they, couldn't, they still can't locate it. They have to presume It's called a big missing link, right? What happened when you reject the idea of there's a God? You actually become stupid. Sorry. Smartest people can become stupid because their understanding is darkened. And from verse 24, I'm looking at my time right now. To verse 32, we don't have the time to read it. You can go ahead and read it. It begins to describe the consequence of a society that have rejected the idea of God. Sin was rampant in Paul's days because people, by and large, had rejected the idea of God because they've taken the Greek philosophies the more educated one, they usually, they would take on the Greek philosophies. And the rest of the society, many of them just still believe in Greek mythology and worship idols and so forth. But the idea is by and large has been rejected by the educated world in Roman society. They have adopted the Greek philosophies of Plato and Socrates, all those guys, because the idea of God is really naive. And so they reject it. And as a consequence, even in Paul's society, there was a lot of sin. It's very normal for for, uh, for a Roman emperor to, to have a couple of wives, concubines, and a couple of boyfriends. And, and you know, I don't know if I said this just earlier, but, you know, uh, it's very normal for the, for the Roman soldiers to have a relationship with another Roman soldier, and they're encouraged to do that so that they can protect one another, and they can love one another, and they just watch out for each other in the, in the battlefield, and so that they can actually be more effective as an army. Sin was rampant. Now, since the Renaissance, there has been a continuing effort. You know, Renaissance, right? Just happened. It's called the re-enlightenment, right? The Renaissance in our history, there's been this, you know, the gospel was preached. You know, people got saved, and, and a lot of people got saved. And then, and then politics come into the church, and the church gone into the dark ages, and they threw away every knowledge they have. And so there's a beginning of Renaissance that started after a while. And so that Renaissance was trying to recover all the old philosophy, teaching, knowledge, and so forth. And since that day, that has been a continuing effort by the God of this world, the devil, through his cohort to begin to reintroduce the idea of a godless society, to begin to reject the idea of a god. And so since that day, it's been growing and growing and growing. Like, like the, uh, the, the time of Paul, Paul, in fact, it's going to get worse than Paul, is that the world becoming very chaotic. Then the only way that we can get out of this is the gospel is being spread as rapidly as in the days of Paul the Apostle. Since the Renaissance, there has been a continuing effort to reverse the idea of God. 
God and reprogram the public psyche, especially in the West, to ditch the idea of God. Not unlike what in the days of Paul, what Paul says uh, uh, in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And consequently, the world become very chaotic. Consequently, there's sins. I want to tell you this, my friends. There's no amount of politics we can do to see any changes. I just don't believe that could be done. But I do believe that if there is a massive spread of the gospel of Jesus, not through the works of man, not through our own power, but that believers are pressing in and believe you are contending in the spirit and praying in the spirit, contending and creating the atmosphere that people will be attracted to the gospel and people will be brought into the presence of God. And when they come into the house of God, there is a marked transformation in their lives. And they are really touched by God. When, when that happened, not just one or two individuals, but in a massive scale, you will see the reversal of the darkness. There's no other ways. Listen to me. The gospel is what we got. It's the only tools God had given us to reverse course. Nobody else is coming. There's nothing else going on. Nothing. You and I have been called to preach the gospel. And the gospel not of religion, because people are sick of that, but the gospel of righteousness by faith. And we're going to learn in the weeks to come is righteousness by faith through grace. Can I have the worship team to come out? We need to close.